It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And today, Jeremy, um, we're going to continue part two of our From Clash to Cohesion, Resolving Conflicts Between Work Groups. Um, I'm sure there's great information we're going to be sharing today because groups are great. And if you can get them to work as a team, even better. But there's always going to be conflict. As we've talked before, conflict's not always bad, uh, but it can be. So how do we manage? How do we get um, the, the conflicts resolved and get people back to working together and being productive? Yeah. First note before we start, one of the if these are open mic. Anyone, if you're listening to the recorded podcast, you can you can come on, you can join us live. One of the benefits is you get to see some. You get obviously to join in on the chat, but also we share some different documents and so forth that are helpful. And also you can come up, speak your mind, share some insights. For those of you in here today, I shared um, some PDFs and I shared some of the main references for today. The two main ones, and these will be in the show notes. Uh, one is called Psychological Barriers to Resolving Intergroup Conflict, an Extensive Review and Consolidation of Literature. A mouthful. We'll get into it. It's very helpful. The other one, this is really exciting. The Interface Meet, Tom, exciting. Does, like, who, who gets excited about this stuff besides us? It's called The Interface Meeting, a tool for addressing intergroup conflict. Uh, conflict must be expressed one way or another from the first reference is from Negotiation Journal. The, other, the second one is from Supervision. It's all in the show notes. It's all in the chat here today. It was, it reinforced, you know, as I'm looking through these, these two articles, I'm thinking, this these two articles alone solidify the need for academic research. A lot of times it's poo-pooed, right? Because it's, oh, we don't want people in the work. We don't want to just talk about theory. We don't want, you know, just to talk about academic research. But when it's put into these specific forms, and much of it is, it just takes a trained eye to look at it and to digest it. When it's put in the two, into the two forms that these articles embody, it's absolutely amazing. One of them provides an absolute framework, start to finish every single thing for two groups to get together. And that is the uh, interface meeting tool. And the other one is an absolute extensive, extensive review and consolidation, as the title says, Tom, of all the literature on intergroup conflict, conflict between groups. And you get this whole... Um, I, I, just to start out, uh, when you look at, and, and it looks at, I'm, I'm going to read verbatim here, and it, in its most benign, intergroup conflict manifests as social distance, not as we've been saying it, but social distance that encourages competition over status and economic resources. At its worst, it fuels hatred and misdeeds, incites violence, and gives rise to protracted armed conflicts and even genocide. And then it goes on to all the different types of intergroup conflict. And we've took looking at, so this, we're looking specifically here at the psychological dimensions, which are looking at attitudes, emotions, biases, beliefs, and all these kinds of things really, uh, you know, take its toll on conflicts and on people. So what they did is they found, they started with, and looking at all these articles, they found 80, I think it was 80 distinct psychological barriers. And that threw me. And what they did is they started weaning it down, as researchers do and academics do in a good way, very good way. They said, okay, well, some of these are similar. So they used all the statistical analysis. And then they broke it down, I think, into maybe 45. And then they thought, we got to go even smaller than this because we have to develop some kind of a framework. So then they developed 26 
distinct psychological barriers. So we'll be able to start, we'll start to talk to them, uh, talk to them. Tom, we're not talking to the researchers today. <laughs> we'll start to talk about those 26 barriers. And we'll also go through a little bit of this uh, interface meeting tool. How do you get two or three groups together with a Gestalt approach and really gather the people that are involved with the conflict, allow them to discuss in depth what's happening, what's going on, and really have this, uh, these uh, really important stepwise discussions. And the important thing is too, the, the I guess, test subject and the, the company that um, the consultant who developed this was working with was a nuclear power plant, which pretty good idea. So if it can help with conflict for people in a nuclear power plant, where if something goes wrong, a lot goes wrong, it can probably help anywhere from the hair salon to the mechanic shop to Pepsi, to Microsoft, to the construction, the family-owned construction company, XYZ. Over to you, Tom. Uh, well, this sounds great, Jeremy, but... <laughs> Love your... Yep, keep going. <laughs> I think I might need an IO psychologist to help me navigate that because just the thought of me getting people together who are in conflict and going, all right, let's talk about this. Let's have you guys go at it for a while and then I'll step in and I'll play the judge. Uh, <laughs> be like night court. Um, so with these documents that you've brought today, do they give you step-by-step -step ways of actually managing that discussion? Or do I really need someone like a Jeremy to come in and <laughs> make sure we don't get to that genocide part? And, and uh, always having a third party, I actually first... I remember watching Night Court when the first one came out, Tom, and now they have the reruns of it and some of the same actors. I remember Bull. Oh, my gosh. Good good call on the Night Court. It's always helpful to have a, a third party, and the third party can do a lot and help um, with you know groupthink and with uh, dynamics and, and different perspectives. But at the same time, and this is you know to your question, but also elaborating on your question a little bit. Vet the third, vet the third party because sometimes they can do. I've seen where they can do more harm than good, but I can also see where people are listening and saying, "Why should we listen to this person?" So it's important to vet. Having an IO psychologist is, you know, of course, I think, and I'm pretty sure the rest of the group here thinks it's it's a good idea because we're trained in this and we have experience in this and we understand the holistic approach, but also can um, dive into these certain focus areas and help with any stepwise approach. And in this one, so to start out, um, I'm going to address this. So an interface meeting, a tool for addressing intergroup conflict. This does lay out step by step. It tells examples of intergroup dependence, and it talks about the different things that are the keys. And then it'll go so to like first step, second step, how the it goes as far as how the group should be situated in a room. Um, depending on how many groups it is, what kind of pressure the group should feel about solving problems, the design of the meeting, who's facilitating, what happens after listening, what are steps three and four. So it does provide really um, all the, all there is there. And since I've shared these these two documents with the group, I'm going to turn it back over to you. And then maybe those that are, are going to speak today might pick out something from one of these particular documents and share a little bit. And uh, if not, uh, I'm, I'll be here to get into the meat of it too, but I see uh, Linda Ann has her hand up, but Tom, back over to you. Yeah, I'd love to hear from people who've actually had experience with dealing <laughs> with this type of thing and, and working with those groups, and maybe we'll get some horror stories. Uh, Linda Ann, let's start with you. Well, um, I've had some horror stories, but let's not go there today. <laughs> um, one other thing, and I have a, this question for you, Jeremy, to some degree, and that is, you know, in my experience, when you're when you're in a group and it's just a group of people, it doesn't have to be two different groups. You know, it's just a group in a, in a meeting where there's conflict or say you're presenting ideas um, and there's no buy in. And you can see that um, there's different agendas or people have issues for different reasons and they've shut down and those kinds of things. My thought is and, and is to really. Because you can see conflict coming, but it doesn't just happen in the meeting. You know that there's discord somewhere along the line anyway, whether it's been in previous meetings or um, in other just conversations. And to go in and sit down with the individuals, because so often it's hard to come up with one technique or one process that's going to work for everybody. Um, and, 
in the group or as on the group as, as a whole, and to really help people understand, number one, why are we having this meeting or addressing this issue or whatever it is, and help them identify what their real conflict is with the situation to begin with. Because so often people will say, well, I'm just, you know, I don't want to work extra hours. Say it's an issue of, you know, working till 4.30 instead of four o'clock, right? I don't want to work extra hours. I'm not paying me or whatever. But maybe it's really that you can't get to your kid's daycare on time, right? So really understanding, helping them understand what their real issue is and, and helping them see what's going on, why are we addressing this other issue first, but, um, and why it's important to, what's the purpose, right? But really helping them understand and say, well, you don't have to stay till 430 if we can get this done or whatever that is, and help eliminate some of the anger um, and fear that might exist that's causing some of the conflict. Do you find, Ladan, that when you, when you sort of take that approach that you can open a can of worms so that, you know, you, as you say, you might want to, it might start a meeting. We're talking about one problem, but you know, within 15 minutes, there's 10 problems on the table. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, here's what happens. I think sometimes in those groups, you know, you can open a can of worms, but it's the wrong can of worms, right? If you're not dealing with the real concerns or real fears or real issues that the people have, then it's a lot of effort and a lot of frustration but it doesn't really get to the solution. And insert. So this is where I, I think this this tool really attends to that. Like the like you mentioned to me at the beginning. Why are we here? So I'm going to read a little bit verbatim from uh, and and just kind of slice through a little bit this particular tool. So the interesting part is so like because we're talking about a conflict between groups. It says each group should be represented by a diagonal slice of its membership, including all levels of the hierarchy and all significant higher, uh, horizontal subgroups. In other words, someone from each level uh, of, of the group, basically you take a diagonal slice, so you're getting a little bit of everyone. And the manager is, um, you know, you, you do have some of, the, some of the leaders there for obvious reasons. But here, here's how it starts. There's no pressure to resolve problems, develop action plans, or anything. The whole idea in the, in the beginning is simply fully explore in, in depth concrete examples of what is going on so that's where you get to your why there's no um no need for anyone to feel defensive it's really just an exploration phase the focus is simply staying with that situation as long as it takes because groups usually either become defensive or they rush to solutions before they understand something so that's what's the, the first part is and then there you you can have a facilitator because you got to have you have to have someone leading giving like a it says a short lecturette in terms of conflict and organization saying yes hey it's a natural consequence of committed bright and energetic people that work together it's going to happen sometimes it means they care sometimes it means hey we got the right people that have some different viewpoints we did a good job in hiring great job that's what we want we want innovation we want differing opinions um conflict is typically a reflection of real issues that should be addressed Otherwise, you're not going to have high performance and you're not going to have a great employee experience. And also talk about um, sometimes conflict, it can be hidden, but in, at some point, there's no way from keeping it from being expressed. So unless it's openly expressed and uh, expressed and effectively managed, basically, you're going to form some crazy tension. You're going to have delays, errors, broken agreements and so forth. And the continuation of it is it's a warm-up activity to get everyone there just ready to work. And what happens is group A tells group B how group B gets in their way, makes it difficult for them, and impacts them negatively. Now, group B listens. They're not allowed to respond. They, can only, they, they can't be defensive. And the, they simply ask questions for cl clarification and elaboration. They don't justify, they don't explain, they don't defend. Group B simply asks for examples, specifics, and concrete descriptions so that they can get a better idea and start to see from group A's perspective. They probe. And what are probing questions? Probing questions are dig uh, a follow-up question based on the answer to the previous question. Scanning questions are... Um, just 
any question that comes to your head. So it's important to probe, really get down and, and dig below the surface of how we normally think about things. Now, this type of behavior is new because a lot of times normally it's explaining, justifying, advocating for yourself or for the rest of your team. But it's important to for the facilitator just to get everyone to stay on track. Again, group B just listens, asks questions for clarification and says, okay, can you elaborate on that? Then they switch roles. So this might take 30 minutes. Um, and then actually before they sw switch roles, group B can say, okay, here's our reaction. Um, this is when they can explain and when they can justify and they can defend. And then group A will is able to respond. And then, then you repeat. So that's a way to start because there's, think about it. I mean, you're talking about an hour, maybe even an hour and a half here of no, not trying to defend, not trying to make excuses or justify, and certainly not trying to resolve the problem. So again, it's new. And with anything new, sometimes we have to do it one or two times. Tom, we've talked a lot about difficult conversations. It's hard the first time, but the second time it's real easy. The third time it's super easy. And the fourth time you're thinking, why doesn't everybody do this? So as it keeps with, with here, and I'll, I'll just keep going through this because I love seeing the hands up. I hate to make people wait, <laughs> but then, then it's take a break and you have a recorder that keeps track of the major issues. They return from the break. The facilitator shows, okay, here are the major issues. But at this time, you've got both A and B saying, hey, here's how you make life difficult for us. So at that point in the meeting, that's when the groups can say, okay, uh, group A, why don't you tell group B what you want from them? Um, what uh, are you willing, what do you want them to commit to? And what are you willing to commit to in return? They can get together, and this is where I'll get really thin here, and, and anyone can look at this article for more. That's when you can have the group say, okay, this is what we're willing to do. We can start to prioritize these issues, um, develop action plans, and attend to really the most important issues. Um, look at mutual goals. Um, and here's what it says, assign most important issues to either mixed or non-mixed tax task forces on work and report back later to meetings of both groups. In other words, you can have a task force of group A or group B or both where they collaborate together because they both want to get to the same overall goal and then they can they can get back. So in general, that is a method outlined uh, that, that may or may not be effective, but goodness gracious, it's a pretty decent start and a pretty decent framework, Tom. I think it'd be great in business, and, and I think we should start using that in elementary school as well. I think it'd be great there. Teach people young. Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. So Dr. Jeremy just gave a great uh, example to your question earlier, Tom, about if we open a can of worms, you know, how do we, doesn't it get real messy? It can, but with, when you work with an IO person, you work with a skilled and, and educated, experienced person who says, I can help facilitate that. I can help navigate that. You can keep that can of worms from opening too quickly or or not opening enough. It's like if you say, I need a, I need some water. Do you mean from a faucet, from a hose, or from the fire hydrant? You know, you're going to get three different responses if you don't know how to how to adequately and effectively uh, facilitate that. And and with with uh, between work groups, conflicts typically falls into three different types of categories. There's task conflict, relationship conflict, and process conflict. Task conflict, I don't like to do that. Relationship conflict, I don't like you, so I don't want to do that. Process conflict, I don't like the way that we do this. And when you take the time, like what Linda Ann was talking about, to really understand the why behind that conflict, what is the conflict, but also why is that conflict there? And then doing following that similar process to what Jer uh, Dr. Jeremy was talking about, you can begin to to open that communication and understand a little bit more of, okay, well, really the conflict itself is not the task or it's not the person. It's it's this aspect of it. So what can we do? Now all of a sudden the conversation conversation can shift to what are things that we can do that maybe can address it now, but also help us avoid that in the future. Or if it comes up, what what resources do we have available to stop it sooner so that it doesn't become a big conflict? Really, 
<clears throat> Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to ask, do we need a certain culture in the business to actually get to that place? Tom, you you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, so really, it comes back to what we talked about last week, which is that organizational culture. And an organization's culture can can really influence how how teams and how groups process things, how they respect one another and how they collaborate. And um, by effectively nurturing and fostering that that type of culture that you want, your conflict becomes something that you you can turn to a professional and say, help us get through this. And with the hopes, at least with the hopes when I work with clients is the hopes is that when I work with you on this, I also want to give you this tool so that next time you don't have to come to me, I'm going to be available, but you don't always have to, you want to be able to do this on your own. And, and it comes back to strengthening that culture within your organization in the way that you and your team work together, respect one another, communicate and collaborate. I like that a lot. Thank you very much, Dr. Matthew. Natasha, let's go to you. Hi, everyone, and Happy New Year. Um, you know, I, I, I like the, you know, when I when I heard the mention of can of worms, um, I think about a piece of advice that I all executives when I work with them is to be mindful of opening a can of worms that you're not willing to close. Um, and I think that when you have these conversations, you also have to you have to know the culture of the organization that you work for, as you beautifully stated, um, because not every organization they want to know the issues, but not every organization or leader is willing to do what it takes to resolve the issue. And so when you open a can of worms that you're now not willing where you promise an organization, we're trying to get to the bottom of this and we're trying to solve for this, but then you realize how much needs to be solved and oftentimes the cost of said resolution, a lot of organizations back up or don't follow through. And so not only have you walked people down a conversation that they probably would not have had in the first place, you opened up the can of worms and there's no resolution. So that's my quick piece on that. But for me, I think when we have, you know, conversations about conflict and and conflict resolution, um, one of the things I think about, and I always ask divisions, like let's say, for instance, I'm working for a marketing and branding organization. They're working on a campaign, which involves designers, marketing uh, um, designers, strategists, um, editors, um, what have you. And there is conflict as to what team, what division is holding the process up, project managers. I always like to ask, what is the SOP? Because if we have SOPs, we can look back and say at each junction, who's responsible, who's responsible. And once we've solved for that, we hold that entity or division accountable, which brings me to my next point of accountability. Oftentimes, organizations, leaders, and even individuals do not want to take accountability for how they have contributed or even initiated the issue. And so I think when it comes down to it, it's important for, let's say, if it's two different groups, we look back at the SOP, but the leaders of said group, be it the managers or whatnot, you have to take accountability for the failures of your team and hold your team accountable. Because what we generally have is everyone wants to be right. Everyone wants to receive glory but not everyone wants to take accountability and responsibility for their contributions. And so, again, when we look at the SOPs, and it's important for organizations to have SOPs, when we're looking at it, um, in some instances, it's easy to say, and this is how we got here, and this is how it needs to be fixed, and this is who needs to be part of that solution. Thank you very much for that. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. We've had some really great input so far. Dr. Jeremy gave us an example of a process that can be tremendous in helping an organization. And this is exactly why we need or organizations need to have an IO professional 
work with them because as Linda Ann said earlier, so often you're not even looking at what the real issue is. Regardless of if we're dealing with individuals or groups, we have humans and human psychology and with that come egos and emotions and baggage. And all too often, if organizations are left to deal with conflict on their own, they get lost in all of that. Humans have this propensity to think in terms of us versus them, and it's part of survival, and it's just as real at the workplace as it is anywhere else outside of work. So when you have groups that may have conflict between them, now, especially if you have a cohesive group, the us versus them can be that much stronger so again, if an organization chooses to deal with this on their own, they may find themselves to be in deeper um, problems and issues than they realized or they anticipated. Natasha had mentioned that people may say, yes, we want to solve a problem, but we don't want to do what it takes. I've seen organizations who say, yes, we want to replicate this success, but then they don't even want to do the work for that. So imagine if if you don't want to do the work for the success that you're seeing somewhere else in your organization, imagine how many people don't want to do the work to fix a problem within an organization. Again, another reason why IO psychologists can be tremendous. And even as an outsider, as a consultant coming into an organization, an IO psychologist understands human psychology and will know to get to know the culture of the organization because as was mentioned earlier that too will make a difference in how we approach the problem what kind of solutions we propose what kind of tools we use yeah if you open that can of worms and you don't know what you're doing it can get messy but if you have an io psychologist and you open that can of worms you can actually go fishing and do something and, good and, with those and the other part of it is if you think it's costly or tedious to deal with the problem, an IO psychologist can help you to realize how much more it costs you to not deal with it. Really good point. Uh, Jeremy, I see your hand up. Do you have something else for us? Uh, nope, but I will wait and I will. Thank you for asking. <laughs> you're very, very welcome. Lee, you're up next. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. I wanna, I wanna start off real quick that, you know, we need to recognize that there's a difference in being the, the conflict res you know, resolver or whatever as a, a leader within the organization and being that, you know, quote, disinterested third party, you know, like a consultant, uh, because you're going to do things a little different. And because you're, you're, you're the vested interest is going to be different. You know, if I'm coming in to work with people that I'm there as a consultant, as a third party or whatever, the, the approach is going to be different because I don't know these people and I don't have that vested interest. But if I'm approaching it as this is my team, then I really, really have to watch what I'm doing because I really have to make sure that I'm not showing uh, in, inadvertently any kind of a favoritism or anything like that, that, well, why do you always take their side or whatever? So, you know, if you have a team dynamic that really makes that difficult, then it is incumbent upon you as a leader to bring in that third party, you know, somebody who can play referee because, you know, otherwise you're just going to, you, you know, that can of worms is just going to get spilled all over the floor and make a huge mess. And so, I mean, uh, ironically enough, I dealt with this yesterday. And, you know, I, I had I had internal conflict between some members of my team. I'm not willing to take that on. Well, let's come back to some communication here. Let's explain what you're being asked versus what you're perceiving that you're being asked. And so let's do some clarification. Oh, and by the way. You work for me, not him. So he doesn't get to task you. Oh, by the way, you don't quit tasking him, you know. And so we get to, you know, we had to go through that as far as, you know, clarifying those expectations and helping to, to smooth that out because conflict could have erupted pretty quickly there. But, you know, wading into that and going, okay, I hear you and I hear you. Now let's come to the, let's, let's find that middle ground here. Um, and so, and just to circle back, because I'm actually got to I'm got to jump here in a second, but uh, just to circle back on the group thing, if you're going to go with group versus group, you really want to make sure that you meet with groups individually first. Get the group on the same page. Okay, guys, I need to know what your what your legitimate complaints are. 
you know, if you're going to bitch, do it now. That's great. But let's get down the legitimate, addressable complaints and get it from both sides. And then you bring them together. And, you know, of course, you got to look at the dynamics. Do I need to bring the leaders of the two teams together or do I need to get everybody in there? Are we going to end up in a, you know, big hockey brawl? You know, everybody's, you know, throwing off the pads. So you need to, to really be able to read the room there. And you need to make sure that you, you do that step because otherwise you end up in this huge pitch session and nothing gets done. Everybody's just mad. But now we've gotten that out of the way. Everybody's kumbaya. We're going to come together. Here's my legitimate list that you can do something about. And here's my reciprocal list of things you can do something about. Okay, let's work to find that middle ground. Uh, because a lot of times people miss that step and they throw everybody in the room and they go, let's fix this. And nothing gets done. So good times. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, for Lee. Alexander, let's go to you. Thank you so much. So I am looking at this and... Humor is one that I have read quite a bit in the past, and it can be an extremely powerful part to really increase people's acceptance of what you're trying to get them to push. On the flip side, it can go south really quickly, too. Um, I forget which study, unfortunately, I don't have it with me, but I believe it was something like four um, double negatives on it compared to like one good positive if you get it wrong, so it can go quite bad quite quickly. However, with the study that was shared today on the groups and the use of humor, it really does show how high it really can increase your ability to do humor. And I think this is a really great spot as we're looking at organizations today. We're at that time frame that comes around ever so often where new generations come into the workplace and there tends to be those changes that companies start to struggle with a little bit. And so I think this is one of those spots where we really can see that humor could be a really great asset into these places. As I commonly talk about, um, housing is such a big issue for younger generations, but it's also becoming a bigger issue for some of our older retirees. A lot of them are starting to lose their houses. A lot of companies are actually trying to keep their baby boomers on longer and push off or delay their retirements. And those baby boomers are really starting to lose their houses as well, typically to private equity. And so we can start to kind of see how we could use humor. Both generations now are suffering to provide housing for themselves. And so we can start to build those kind of bridges in there. Um, and that's where I'm going to leave it because I have to run. <laughs> I'd love to meet an IO psychologist who's also a stand-up comedian. Uh, Linda Ann, do you ever do comedy? Uh, often not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I want to address how the, the dealing with the longevity of the do group to group interface meeting result, right? And that is, even though you take this hour and a half, two hours, whatever time it takes to do practice this, this, um, exercise for the team, you're still going to be dealing with, like, as, as Dr. Martha said, and, um, uh, you know, and this goes back to what Natasha was also saying is you're still going back to the the baggage people are bringing into the meeting and their knowledge base or lack thereof. And how are you going to change their behaviors? That's the real thing that's really hard to take away. And if you don't have if the person who is assigned, like it says to assign a group or whatever to a particular issue that's to be resolved, that's been prioritized, correct? If they don't have the right skill set to work through that and help create that change in behavior, this is going to be a, a really tough road as far as I can can tell. And, and so I think that if you choose to go down this road, you have to be willing to allow for the right amount of time to see the change in behavior and for the effect to take place. The other thing I wanted to throw out to the group is the question of to what extent can something like this be preempted through effective leadership? And then to what extent can this whole effort dissolve without effective leadership to pick up the ball and make sure it takes place? Good point. Once again, we're back to that leadership issue. Uh, Richard, let's go to you. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if this is a chicken and egg type of thing but you know we talked last week about teams we talk uh and, and i said i shouldn't say teams so we talked about intragroups right and now we're talking about inter you know conflicts within uh between outside groups right 
Um, there's an article, oh, I didn't put it in the chat here, but there's an article that I remember in, in one of my classes <laughs> uh, looking at where they talked about how um, those those external conflicts, those those interteam conflicts uh, can spiral into issues within teams. Um, it's it, the the teams that have that are more co cohesive and are more uh, egalitarian, where they they you know everybody within the team has some equity you know in the, within the team. Um, they tend to be when there are those uh, those intra team struggles. Uh, they they tend to be more cohesive, but when you put hierarchy into those teams, where you have you know a top down structure and you have people that are literally competing within their in their their in group, um, uh, things tend to fall apart. So it's like, do you do you really try to get the team dynamics under control? I don't want to say first, but do you prioritize that over uh, over some of those uh, you know? The, the way that we handle the external um, conflicts, you know, those 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 teams competing with each other. Do you really have to start with the the team itself? And I mean, I guess when you look at sports, you, you have to look at the internal team first, right, to see if they're going to compete well with everybody else. So um, I, I guess there's a little bit of lesson to 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 be uh, to be learned there to try to bring that into the organization. I don't know how to. I don't exactly know how we do this, but. It was an interesting laboratory study that 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 I shared there. So um, there you go. Yeah, you wouldn't want to create a battlefield <laughs> yeah, right. bringing these people together. Yeah. Uh, really good point. Thank you, Richard. Jacqueline, let's go to you. Yes, very much in line with what Richard was just talking about. And we've talked about the culture of the team and the work that the leader needs to put in and the team members need to put in. And it makes me think of the levels of psychological safety, right? Where, you know, you start out as you're an outsider and you move to being included and then you move to the learning stage and then the contribution stage and finally the challenger. And I think that it's, uh, that's where the team members need to be to do the best work in this type of scenario where they're moving through this conflict, but also it's part of the culture and the setting that the team needs to do to move from, hey, let's do this conflict resolution thing to let's operate in this way where we can all bring issues up, where we can find the root causes and we feel comfortable on an, a, a daily basis bringing things up and resolving the small things before they get to the can of worms spilled all over the floor. Thank you very much for that. Mamie, welcome to Work Cookie. Let's go to you. Hey, um, I think a lot of you shared a lot, a lot of what I was thinking, actually, just doubling down on what Lee said in terms of separation and the psychological safety first. Uh, when I work with teams, a lot of times they're open to having conversation with me. Um, but when it comes to the group dynamic, they have like a fear of speaking up. They're telling me all these things that are going on. But then when we're like, OK, let's come together, let's discuss this. How can we, you know, come to an agreement? Everybody's quiet. There's no more problems. So then a lot of times some of these issues don't get solved. So separating the group, um, just doubling down on what Lee said just separating them and actually getting that information first have helped in my approach to helping teams and also creating an agreement with individuals in the team. How will we in the future um, discuss these conflicts? Like, how do we want to handle it? Um, and do we want to go this way, that way? As a team, we come together and have a specific agreement that everyone has to follow. Um, like, a, I think a bylaw, like Natasha said, just maybe a SOP or something like that. Because based on those information, everyone knows that this is how we're going to solve the problem. This is how we're going to go about it. So when that can of worms start to come out, you know, you're like, hey, this is what you agreed to. And this is what we're going to continue with. So if we're going to direct, like, go on the other side. We need to come to an agreement as a team to follow that path. Yeah. Let me ask Mimi, do you, do you ever find yourself having issues where everybody on the team is happy with that, except for the person who leads the team? They think they should be excluded from the rules? 
There's always that one. <laughs> There's always one that's not part of the team, but want the team to be fixed, right? And then uh, you have to also look at that and, and back to that root cause, what's going on with you? What's happening? Because, you know, you have a different opinion of what the team could be doing. What are you seeing that they're not seeing and vice versa? Let's come together and have that conversation. But I think a lot of times is that shyness, like, all right, I got all these things that I got to tell you. But when we come together and bring maybe the leader in the room or even without the leader in the room, there's that uh, there's nothing wrong. You know, uh, everything is fine. We're we're perfect team and every, you know, kumbaya and everything. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I worked in organizations where it's you know, yeah, we're dysfunctional, but don't let anybody in leadership know. <laughs> Jeremy, <laughs> let's go back to you. Tom, a lot, we say this often about how no matter what article we're looking at, we can figure out a way to use it as a framework. And frameworks are always, always really good. In this article on the psychological barriers, it's easy to look at it and say, okay, how could we use this as a framework when we actually have two groups that are in conflict to help them work through that conflict? And they list, this is where we started out in the, in the beginning of the podcast, where they broke it down into 26 very specific barriers. And I'll name, I'll name a couple here. Failures of perspective taking, group conformity, fixed pie perception, hopelessness, loss aversion, moral amplification, omission bias. All these are defined in the, uh, in the article. But the, the other nice thing that the article does is it says, hey, here's the, like, depending on which barrier it is, what is the method to attend to this? And for example, anger, you use mindfulness. For cognitive misconstruals of the outgroup, uh, con use contradictory information and bias awareness. Um, because we have this, and there's a lot of, um, you know, we all, a, a lot of you know about element, leader member exchange theory, LMX theory, we're talking about in-groups and out-groups. And that was one of the um, pretty large bases for foundations for some of the work uh, by these particular authors, you know, how do we view outgroups? You know, Tom, again, we talk, we, we, we do this all the time. We've had so many interactions, but if you're a, who, who's playing? Uh, we got the Bills and the, and the Chiefs coming up this weekend, right? If you're at the game, if you're a Chiefs fan and you see someone in a, in a, in a, in a, with a Bills jersey on a Bills fan, you automatically think they're dumb. They're obviously not as smart as you, yada, 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 because it's just that in-group versus out-group effect and be vice versa for if you're Bills and you'd see someone in a, in a Chiefs jersey with a Chiefs hat on. But we have this thing and that's where it goes out, goes to like cognitive misconstruals of the out-group. But it outlines, okay, if here's what's going on, here's what you can do and here's the, the method to, to get past that. But going beyond that, I think a good activity would be, all right, here you have these 28, because what do you do? If you really want to get to, to the heart of the issue, you really have to understand these barriers. I think a really good activity would be for a, like two groups to get together and you have someone facilitating and it's as simple as, okay, and maybe you use part one of the tool that we spoke of earlier, where group A says, all right, group B, this is how you make our lives uh, not good. And then they listen, they do probing questions, and then they reverse. And at the end of that, it can be, okay, look, now that we've heard everyone, let's look at this chart uh, in from this article and discuss the barriers that are here. And maybe you get maybe you get the two groups, maybe you get two people from each group, put them into groups of four, and they work on one issue at a time and say, what's going on here? It might be fear. It might be... Again, it could be uh, optimistic overconfidence. I'm just reading here. It could be sunk cost effect, self-identity threat, system justification, whatever it is. And they have to say, all right, what's going on here? That way they can say, all right, now that we understand this, we understand that we're human, you're human. And if I were in your situation, I might have this same barrier. And here's my barrier. But they start to understand the barriers very specifically. They're diving in. They're becoming one with it. They're really understanding it. Not only does it get that done, but you have two people from each group. Now you've got these groups interacting and working together to solve a problem. They used to do this. Tom, you mentioned elementary school. They do this. Uh, it's called a jigsaw puzzle activity. I, I think for good reason. I think they actually use a jigsaw puzzle, Tom. 
kind of funny now that I'm thinking about it. But they do this in, in uh, elementary schools so that kids can get used to working together with other people that aren't that are different than them because they both want to accomplish the same goal. We've talked about, I think it's called the Solomon Ash experiment with the rattle rattlers and the eagles or something like that, where you have this, this camp of um, like this boys summer camp where the researchers found reasons to make them compete and hate each other. And then to get them to like each other again, they made the, the food truck break down a mile from the camp. So they all had to work together to push it because when you all have, when you, when two groups have the same goal and they can't finish that goal without the other group, it causes them to work together and to start to be collective and collaborate and notice what they do like and appreciate about other people. So there's so many things and I'll go back to, it's not a bad idea. Have them like, well, the article, have them talk about the barriers that they're facing and then allow them to work together. And then they can start to come up with ways to overcome these different unique barriers. And everything is outlined basically between these two articles. You have a solid tool with a process and a framework, and then you have other information definitions that can be used to insert into that framework. And Jeremy will be at the game this weekend with Taylor Swift talking to Bills fans. Uh, <laughs> I'd pay money to see that. Natasha, let's go back to you. I, yeah. So I wanted to go back to the topic of psychological safety that I believe Maya and Mamie um, touched on earlier. Um, great points there. And I think that it goes, that point goes back to what I mentioned about it starting at the top and a point that everyone brought up in terms of, um, you know, company culture. Is our organization, is the culture of our organization one where our leaders do not just gloss over their mistakes, can take full accountability for their leadership, for their mistakes, for, you know, areas where they should have stepped up or done something or listened to their employees and they did not, um, rather than gloss over it. And I think that, and also, do we have a culture wherein if employees take accountability for take accountability and responsibility for where they have made mistakes or where, you know, where they've made mistakes. Do we have a culture that wherein they won't be retaliated for taken advantage of because they admitted their fault and now, okay, you're the scapegoat. And I think that all of that contributes to creating psychological safety and within an organization. And that always starts at the top, because if our leaders not only take accountability, but also show grace when others make mistake, and we really focus more on the lessons learned through the process and how not to get back there, I think that those are all contributors to, you know, how people how conflict is resolved because otherwise what you'll have is two parties pointing fingers and it just becomes the game of blame. Um, and then I think the second point that I wanted to bring up that I, I don't believe we touched on it, is um, that contributes to that is also understanding when people show up with alter ulterior motives. Um, those ulterior motives might be professional. If I can peg you as not knowing how to do your work and you get fired, I can then get promoted into your role. Or leaders pitting employees against each other. If you back me up here, you know that person is the only thing standing between you and your next promotion. And so really understanding the organizational politics that are at play in addition to the culture and also understanding I think someone mentioned the humanity of it all is that as humans we are flawed and as such we show up with ulterior motives and really understanding how those motives can come into play and contribute to uh, the issues at hand. You know, I think, and I also called you should really work in the film industry because you just <laughs> just cracked a big part of that. Uh, Linda, oh, I worked you. in media. I worked in okay. media. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you speak. 
<laughs> Linda Ann, let's go over to you and then Dr. Matthew. So what I'm thinking about and hearing here is in this process, it seems like part of it is really focusing on their team, each person's team, and then the things that are getting in the way from the by the other team, right? And what I feel like is missing there, and if I'm wrong, somebody pointed out to me, is what's the common goal? Like Jeremy, when you said, you know, they have the jigsaw um, activity and basically it helps people work together because you're all trying to get the puzzle fix put together, right? So how is the common goal, the the end game or the why communicated in this process so people stop focusing on everyone's flaws and issues um, versus really what is it going to take for us to move forward? Um, and yeah, that's that's the point. And Linda and while while Tom's um, coming back, that's good. And sometimes it can be it can be a simple because it is part of visioning out and what what what's the end goal. Sometimes that end goal can be as simple as you don't go to bed and wake up frustrated all the time and hating this person and, or this person doesn't live rent free in your head or this conflict. You don't think about this all the time. How is your tomorrow going to be better than today? And have and and think of very specific reasons because sometimes the motivation can simply be I don't I don't th th this is driving me crazy I don't want to think about it anymore. Okay, well that's a pretty good motivation for a lot of people to sit down and say okay let's finally get this particular issue resolved depending depending on specifically what it is especially if you're dealing with like the horns and the halo effect of someone else or the uh or another group Tom, or thank you very much jeremy oh sorry good so right, doctor go ahead no, Linda. i just want to respond to, to jeremy for a second so one of the things the examples that kind of pops into my head is someone's really focused on quality and they're nitpicky right and it might be driving somebody on the other team absolutely crazy because they can't feel like they get anything done and if you're telling me that we need to make an adjustment i don't care why it bothers you Right. I'm focused on getting doing a good job and getting the meeting the values and the goals of the organization and whatever and doing a good job. But if that pisses you off, I don't care. So how do you I mean, where do you, you go from me? <laughs> I'm gonna have to think about that one because you you're you you flipped it in terms of where my mind was going. So let's go to Dr. Uh, Matthew. I'm gonna think about that one for a second. Or Dr. Matthew could probably answer better than I can anyway. Dr. Matthew, over to you. Well, I don't know about answering better, but I'll, I'll definitely give it a try. Um, I think a lot of that, depending on, again, every situation is going to be a little different. So uh, following concrete step-by-step -step processes don't always, doesn't always work when there's that human element. There's got to be some flexibility, a scaffolding or a structure to follow. Uh, but for me, a lot of what, what so many of people have talked about today, bringing, sort of bringing it to leadership is how that leader demonstrates uh, that um, that culture, but also that approach to conflict resolution. So Linda Ann, in your situation or in that example you just asked, when somebody says, I don't care how it makes you feel. Well, let's take a step back and and um, dig into that a little bit deeper if, if time allows. Obviously, you know, in whatever client situation, you may not always have that time, but there's there may be something else going on a little bit deeper where you're not maybe open to or receptive to the perceptions or the engagement of others and and that's where what does that leader demonstrate if you are the leader what are you demonstrating to the rest of your team as far as how you resolve conflict or even how you come to the table that that mindset is really uh communicating um i don't want to go sit at the table with you this is the way we're going to do it and and if that's the way that the an organization or a leader chooses to to behave and to to proceed okay that that's their choice and their their directive to do that but um to the rest of to the other groups that are maybe in conflict with them the more you start to understand okay this is how they operate so maybe we find other teams to work with maybe we find other opportunities to collaborate elsewhere um again there's there's a number of dynamics with that what i wanted to go back to was something that was actually brought up in the chat that i don't know had been mentioned aniri had asked um about uh, conflict being resolved in different workplace environments, uh, workplace cultures where there's fast paced versus slow paced. And how do you justify the importance or urgency of, of a conflict to bring it up? 
And that ties right into also this example that Linda Ann was sharing. Sometimes as the IO, as the professional, as the, as the third party, our job is to hold up the mirror and say, this is kind of what you look like. This is what's going on. How does that, are you okay with that? And if they are, well, now we have their answer. There may not be an opportunity for interspace conflict resolution. So we find a different way to move forward. But sometimes holding that mirror up can get somebody to say, you know what? I didn't realize that's how it was being received or that's how it was being communicated. That's not my intent. I really don't care for X, Y, and Z. I don't care how Dr. Jeremy feels about, you know, the, the conflict. But now that I'm aware of how my how I'm bringing myself to the table, maybe I can change that a little bit. Like that, and and Jeremy, I care about you, uh, even if Doctor Matthew doesn't. Um, Brian, welcome to Work Cookie. Let's go to you. Hello. Uh, one of the things I thought about, Linda, when you um, represented your situation was kind of piggybacking on what was just said. Was just taking a step back, like what is the end product or deliverable that you're meaning to accomplish? And there's always going to be that balance between quality and um, time and like quality and resources. So like, what does it take to ensure like in that particular case, one's focused on quality, one's focused on getting the job done. Well, like what is more important? First of all, is there, uh, for example, a specific timetable in which we need to accomplish this by? Is there a certain level of quality that it needs to be upheld to? And like, what are the resources that are required to ensure that level of quality? Do we need to, you know, buy additional things? Do we need to hire more people? Um, how much time do we have to spend on this? So that, those are some of the types of things I was thinking about. And really my focus there was just getting the people to think more about how they can work together to resolve that. Like if you're saying that we need more quality, how can we have more quality while still ensuring that we're within the same um, within the time frame, and then that kind of goes back to the general point that I'm getting from this whole presentation, which is idea of uh, rather than competition, it's about collaboration. And rather than focusing on the problem, it's about finding solutions to the problem. So, like for example, when you're um, when people are arguing, they're reacting to each other's statements rather than listening and understanding to what someone's actually expressing. And um, I think that kind of, that idea of listening, understanding and communicating, um, especially when an organization doesn't have it currently, provides a framework that they can currently use to solve problems But all, uh, right now, but also in the future, because they've established a precedent that they can work together, this is what works and how they can communicate and they can bring that along into the future. And not just for conflict resolution, but for, you know, general communication and problem solving. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Brian. And, and yeah, you know, th this can can go really complicated. So once again, get yourself an IO psychologist to help you navigate this. Uh, we are getting a little over time, but Natasha, let's go to you as our last speaker today. So really quickly, I think, and and I've I've experienced this particular where someone has just said, well, I don't care how I, how. I'm perceived. I think it it goes right back to um, the psychological safety of it all um, and understanding what exactly are we looking to solve for, um, be it how we come to resolution for this and ensuring that this does not happen again in the future. And one of the things that I have done um, in my consulting work is really um, letting the party that does not one of the things that I like to do with both parties is in the mediation process of it all, or after we have gathered both sides of it and we've come together as groups to talk about what are the issues and no one's budging, is then again meeting with them individually and saying, Hey, I know you think this is what you are saying, this is how you've experienced it, but allow me for a second to share with you how your actions and your words are perceived, experienced, and heard by the other party. Was that your intentions? And for a second there, it might be, you don't have to answer me immediately. Take some time, think on it, let's, let's regroup. And do that with both parties. And I think that this, what I have seen in the process is people who have been really stubborn about their actions and want to die on that hill 
kind of sort of look at things differently. And one other thing that I forgot to mention, I would always tell them, these are the people that you will have to continue to work with throughout the remainder of your tenure here. This can make or break those relationships and your growth or whatever it is in the organization. Is it worth it? And oftentimes you see more of a willingness to acquiesce or to come around and fix the issue. So I really think that oftentimes people don't really understand or know how they show up unless they're told. And to the point of always needing an IO psychologist, I believe that you always need a nonpartisan person that can look at things objectively and drive the conversation. And to that point, a well-trained and equipped HR person can do so, but oftentimes they're not trained properly or have the tool sets to do so. And so I would agree with a lot of people who said you need an IO psychologist, <laughs> Linda Ann did not like that last comment about the <laughs> HR professionals. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm in HR myself, and I know that oftentimes the training is not fully there, but someone who understands the psychology of humans, what motivates us, what gets under our skins, what might irritate us even further, I think you know, bringing in the IO psychologist is there, but also helping people understand how they show up in the workplace with regards to or parallel to how they think they're showing up. It's really about filling in the dots for the blind spots that they may have and trust that our employees and our humans are capable of good and giving them the opportunity to do what is good. Thank you very much for that. And I think Linda Ann's reaction was, she knows you're right. <laughs> uh, and Manny, can you get it, uh, your comment in, in about 30 seconds? Yeah, real quick. Um, as you're talking about um, psychological safety, I think I just want to refer back to somebody who said, um, somebody who talked about the steps to psychological safety, um, starting as an outsider and then ending as a challenger. I think this can be easily forged when you kind of like bring in, you know, when you outsource, when you outsource, you know, Yes, as we we may be having IO, IO psychologists within the organizations or leaders, but at the moment we have a conflict going. And if we have a conflict going, we just want to forge the illusion of psychological safety like real quick to just solve the conflict at hand. And I feel like the first step to psychological safety, creating that safe space, is for somebody to first of all feel comfortable even saying out what is to say out the five whys of why the, of why something is happening or why the conflict is happening. So I was just kind of like touching up with that, what we've been having in the comment section where I was just saying, just bringing an outsider, that would be like the first step to just creating a psychological safety. An outsider who's not going to come in with all the titles kind of thing or all the authoritative kind of, um, of um, situation or thing or ego or even having that demeanor whereby somebody would think, oh, I know they're friends with somebody in group B. So the group A will still feel unheard. So just an outsider to just sweep up, or not just sweep up, maybe I'm using the wrong word, to just sweep up what is happening in the moment. If the organization's cause is like, we speak numbers, we are all about cause, I think bringing in somebody who's an outsider is very much cheaper than just having this thing lingering. Because at this point, at this point, Employees don't trust their leaders. They've been sitting on this whole situation of them having conflicts, the mini conflicts to this bigger one you're trying to, to solve long ago within organizations. So from my receiving end as well, I wouldn't even want to, I wouldn't even forge any, I wouldn't even have the psychological safety or feel safe to say anything with somebody within, however much is somebody who has, who's skilled, I wouldn't feel safety. I don't trust nobody within organizations to be solving an issue for me with anybody else within organizations. So that's what I just wanted to say. Thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. So, Jeremy, here we are. Another great conversation. Uh, we've talked a lot about conflict. So where are we going to take this conversation next week? Next week, we're going to weave it all together, Tom. <laughs> and the title is team we're going to weave in uh, everything from this month's theme team the team tapestry weaving group interactions at work so that's next week and we've got a uh we, we just loaded it so kind of a pop-up but uh next tuesday we do have a, a, a virtual meetup 
or if you live in the Northeast, later in the month, we have a Colorado meetup. Everything is on cbock.com slash events. A special thank you to all of the new contributors today and for everyone being here. Should I count out? Or Nick, you got a quick something? We've got the Pathfinder monthly call uh, tomorrow at about the same time. Uh, we will be kind of going over the overview of what it means to have a Pathfinder membership, what the resources are, and have a brief discussion about uh, what we want it to look like moving forward. Thank you for the reminder on that, Nick. I appreciate it. Tom, any final thoughts or questions? Uh, no, I'm pretty good. All right. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.